mystery. Welcome, Sunnybrook. And we are here today to celebrate not only the greatness of God and not only the mystery of God, but the mystery of God, as we just sang, as revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we're excited about another opportunity that we have to worship together here online. Um, This is usually not the way that we like to do it, but in light of the circumstances around us, it is definitely a way that we are more than glad to do together because we really believe that the people of God need to worship God together. And so whether here online or in our sanctuary, um, we want to come together and to recognize the goodness and the greatness of God. So this morning, um, before we have an opportunity to break open the Word of God, 
um, and to continue to sing praises to God. I want to remind you that we will be taking communion together. And so we want you to make sure that you have both the bread and the cup available for you and for those that are worshiping with you. Also, um, we want you to be aware um, that we are going to have uh, an opportunity to, to celebrate and to pray for some events that are happening together. And so we're, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be praying for um, our new president and for uh, the events of this past week. And so come and join us together. Um, if there's a way that we can connect with you, that we can help you with uh, something that is going on in your life, please know that you can always reach out. We are in life and we are in ministry. We are in this worship of God and responding to God together. And so we pray that this service will also be one of those moments where you can experience the goodness and the greatness of the, of the a wonderful mystery of God. Our text for this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through verse 12. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. After digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were astounded, and they gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of God for the people of God. And as preacher, I say, thanks be to God, and I hope that you said that as well. Good morning, Sunnybrook. We are continuing our series on the gospel of Jesus. Again, more ordinarily, we talk about the gospel according to Matthew or the gospel according to Mark or Luke or John. We are looking more holistically, more collectively at the things that the Son of God did. And so this series, which began a few weeks ago and will continue all the way up through the season known as Lent, so a few weeks before Christmas, we are going to be looking at, focusing on, and learning from the activities of Jesus. Now, it's hard to just exclusively talk about the activities of Jesus and divorce them from the teachings of Jesus because Jesus, as we see in Mark chapter 2, is going to be talking, is going to be discussing, and is going to be um, debating or sometimes even arguing with those people around him after doing the great things that Jesus does. So you can never really divorce the things that Jesus did from the things that Jesus taught. No, they're, they're interchangeable. We'll see more of that as this story unfolds. But we literally are selecting through um, uh, the Gospels, different accounts. Last week we were in uh, John chapter 2 with the, uh, the 
the great miracle at Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. And here we are this morning in Mark chapter 2, so still very early on in Jesus' ministry, where Jesus is going to do amazing things at his hometown of Capernaum. Now, I, I grew up actually um, understanding what some of the people in this story um, are, are, are experiencing. Um, I grew up with a wheelchair as a very real part of my life. Um, I don't remember a time in which a wheelchair and the confines of a wheelchair weren't something that I had to think about almost every day. Now, truthfully, as you probably know, it, it wasn't my wheelchair. It wasn't something that specifically confined me or limited me, necessarily. But, but it did confine my sister. Um, her name is Diana, and I love her deeply. She might even be watching right now. Hi, Diana. Um, when she was 12 years old, um, she had a, um, let's just call it a particular um, situation um, that got complicated, and for a number of reasons, the doctors tried, but they were unable to, uh, to keep her from becoming what this text describes as a, a, par a paralytic. Um, she's a paraplegic. She is uh, completely uh, disabled from the waist down, and uh, she is uh, literally almost exactly 10 years older than me. And uh, so I grew up from the earliest times that I can remember having the life of a, words of the text, paralytic, um, words of my life, a Diana, who was constantly, because of her limitations and because of her confinement, everything that my family did kind of revolved around um, the circumstances of her life. And we all understood it. Um, we had a rather large station wagon, maybe in part because my parents had a lot of kids, but in part because we needed something that could not only hold the kids, but we always needed a place to put Diana's wheelchair. We would be driving home from church. I remember driving home one particular road, and I remember always asking, Dad, can we stop at McDonald's for lunch? And not only did my dad not really care too much for McDonald's, but I remember my parents just describing all of the work that is going to need to be done. We need to stop the car. We need to find a parking spot. And then we all get to get out. We got to get the wheelchair out. And we got to put Diane in the wheelchair. And then we got to go in and try to find a place to sit. And remember, this is the early 70s where you don't have all the great um, access and accessibility that we have today. And so all of those obstacles made it, that it was just easier for us to go home. Um, I remember um, the, the, one of the, the second house that I really remember from the time that I was in the third grade all the way up through the seventh grade, my dad had built with my sister in mind. She had her own living area. She had her own, I thought it was kind of cool. She had her own kitchen. She had her own bathroom. She had more space than virtually anyone else singularly in the house because our lives were uh, kind of being, revol they were revolving around her and her, um, her hardship and her difficulties. And so whenever I hear this story in Mark chapter 2, I just can't help but think about my sister Diana and all the things that I would want to do for her. And so here we are in Mark chapter 2, and yet this is the amazing part. Jesus walks into this encounter and he walks into this story and, uh, and uh, Mark is going to re record this. And as he records it, and Matthew and Mark, they, they record it as well. As this story literally unfolds, it's not the paralytic that really stands at the center. Really, this is a, actually a story about Jesus. 
And this is a story about Jesus and about what Jesus is going to do. And I, I think it's important that we realize that because what we have a tendency to do, have you noticed the theme that's been kind of ringing through the last couple of messages? What you and I have a tendency to do, myself as a, even as a preacher, is to try to look at the text or understand the text or even apply the text in such a way so that the focus of it becomes, in a desire for us to apply it and to understand it, it is easy for us to kind of shift the focus. Right right before we actually started filming, I'll tell you, Steve and I were trying to figure out how to get the, the camera to work. And how do we move the camera? Because the, the view that the camera, right now that you're looking at me at, really matters. And when we're studying a particular biblical text, it's important for us to make sure that we keep the camera, that we keep the view on what Mark wants or what Matthew or Luke wants. But our account is Mark chapter 2. What does Mark want us to focus in on? What does Mark want us to see? How does Mark shift the camera so that there are things that are actually not intended for us to see and then things that are clearly intended for us to see? And, and so I, I'll be honest, I'm going to kind of confess some ways that I've kind of preached this story that if Mark were to hear me, he would say, oh, I, I get what you're trying to do, but nope, you missed the point. Let, let me just tell you that there's a, a wonderful story that we have here, and I, I've preached the story where uh, it, it really has a, a way for us to look at the story and just the value of friendship, the value of good friends, but I just need to tell you this is not a story about the helpfulness of good friends. I mean, it, it, but isn't that what it's really about? Like, don't, it, no, no, hear me, hear me. It is in the text. It is clearly a part of the text. What, what I want to tell you is that the story is not about the helpfulness of good friends, but that is important. <laughs> like, Mark actually draws some attention to that. Look at what the text says, verses 2 through 4 of our text. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him. So that they, notice, this is kind of how you know like where the focus is, is are the people named or unnamed? And notice the amount of unnamedness. This is Capernaum. This is a, the, Jesus is in a sense, not the hometown that he grew up in, Nazareth, but this is now home base for Jesus. And yet Mark and Matthew and Luke do the same thing. We don't know their names. They're really not center stage. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. And we have an incredible picture, an incredible story. And it would even make a really, really good sermon. Do you have friends like this in your life? Can you see me preaching that? I can see me preaching that. I've preached that. Do you have friends like this? Now, now by the way, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just pausing for a moment and going, do I have friends like that? Um, especially in a time that has been as difficult as the last few weeks and months, I mean, almost a year. It's good to have friends. And maybe some of the loneliness that we're experiencing would be alleviated if we just had better friends. Maybe some of the needs that we have, that we are now trying to, to meet, the burdens that we are carrying and we are trying to carry them alone would be alleviated if we took the time and we began to sow seeds of investment in relationships so that when we find ourselves in desperation, when we find ourselves in need, like the man on the mat, that we would have four friends. 
Like, wouldn't it be good? Can you think of four friends that would go to this length to care for you? Wouldn't that make a good sermon? I mean, it would make a good sermon, and friends really are important. But that's really not the focus. If that was the focus, we'd probably have their names. We'd probably have a list of three other things that the friends actually did to help their paralyzed friend. But in the end... These people, which every single one of them matter deeply to God, we see the love of Jesus Christ that is going to pour over onto this man. There seems to be an appreciation. All the gospel writers don't say, hey, and this paralytic just appeared. No, there is some attention that is focusing on these four men and the degrees that they go to help their friend. But the whole purpose here in Mark 2 is not about the value of friends, although they are important. Now, I know that the next thing that you would do, and this is really where it gets me. Um, I've always had some pretty significant friends, but I have spent a lot of time just looking at or thinking about or pondering the difficulties of life that my sister has gone through. And there have been a number of times in which I have even prayed, God, do something Um, heal her, make her life better, make her life easier. Um, I remember as a young boy just thinking, wow, like she'll she'll never be allowed to walk. And my dad would always remind me, um, well, son, no, um, she will spend most of her existence, like when when she goes to heaven and when we all go to be with Jesus, um, this is a temporary thing. My dad would always remind me that the struggle that she's going through is a temporary thing. And I I would, I would agree with them. And then I would go, but it sounds like it's like a really long temporary thing, like it's the rest of her life. And my dad would remind me, no, it's not. It's the rest of her earthly life. Yeah, no, no, dad, I get it, I get it, I get it. But doesn't it seem like one of the most important a person, of things a person would want to do is walk? And so we could literally think that this story is about Jesus providing healing to this person. And yet, if you look at the account This is not a story, hear me, it's not a story about the helpfulness of Jesus healing a paralytic. Now, true, he does heal the paralytic. He does help this man from his circumstances. That is important though. (laughs) Literally, um, even though the story's not about that, this isn't about a story, the compassion or the kindness or the power of Jesus in healing the paralytic. That is important, but that's not the centerpiece of it. Again, it's not the center of what Mark's camera, what he's aiming at. It's in the picture, but it's out out here. The fact that the friends helped is out here. The, the fact that Jesus is the one that healed the paralytic. Now, for you and I would go, now that was the big part of this story, right? Isn't that what you're thinking? Like, that's the big part of your story. I've spent a lot of time praying that my sister would be healed. I was, I've prayed that my friend would be healed. I've prayed for people in the most desperate and difficult circumstances that Jesus Christ would heal them because as I looked at the circumstances, it looked like their physical circumstances, their physical limitations, confinement, disability was the most important thing happening to them in their lives. Look at what happens here. Look at the kindness, look at the power, look at the generosity of Jesus Christ. How is this story not about it? Verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. 
And then immediately he got up, he took the mat, and he went out in front of everyone. And it sounds like, isn't that the crescendo? Isn't that when the, 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 the crowds erupt and they, yes, look, he once was paralyzed and now he can walk. He once was confined and now he is free. He once was disabled and now he is able to walk and to enjoy life like God intended. And the answer is, all of that is true. And yet it's still out here. And you and I go, I don't know if it is out there. What you and I do in life, and, and this is why it's important for us to, to sit down and, and to allow the Word of God to, to come in and to refocus, to adjust the lens of how we look at life or how we look at Jesus or how we look at God it is so easy for us to look at the things that seem to have the greatest weight or the greatest value or the greatest effect or the greatest difficulty on our lives. We seem to look at those things and then sometimes that's all we see. And what the Gospels do is they take a look at, um, I, I don't want to say a bigger picture, they, they take a look at like a, a, a clearer picture about ultimately what matters most. Now, here's something I'm going to, let me say it first before it shows up on the screen. I want to say it once, and then we'll kind of work through it together, okay? Because here's what I want us to hear. What the Gospels do, um, what we're going to see over and over and over again, and what Jesus does, okay, in his life, what Jesus does, the things that he, um, not, not just says, but the things that he does, is he helps us understand that there are needs more important than the needs that we think are the most important needs, Whoa, what was that? Okay, you see it? There are needs that are more important than the needs that we think are the most important needs. Like I look at, um, I look at others and I look at the difficulty of their circumstances and honestly, for the most part, it, 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 it gets when it's hard and difficult and overwhelming it doesn't matter how they got there. I just, I only know how to pray or to agonize or sympathize or empathize with the difficulty that is just so apparent. A, a man paralyzed coming down from the roof on the mat and all I see is a paralyzed man. And all I, can, all I see is the wheelchair. And all I can think is that God, if you love him, help him walk because walking is the most important thing. Yeah, I spend a lot of my time, and hear me, I'm not just trying to figure out a way so that my family can eat at McDonald's. I'm not just trying to find a way that I don't have to deal with the inconvenience of my sister. No, I love her deeply. And I want her to be alleviated and free. And so I look at her life and I just think, wouldn't everything be better and right and together and whole if she could walk? And I take that to God. God, wouldn't everything be better and just more wonderful? Like, isn't the most important thing in my sister's life and Diana's life, isn't her ability or her lack of ability to walk? And why don't you fix that? And then everything will be right in the world. And what Jesus does is he actually points out that there are things that are more important. And, and we need that. That's why we need the Word of God, because if not, all I can see is COVID. All I can see is social injustice. 
All I can see is the way that I wanted the world to be not being the way that it is and my frustration. All I can see is um, almost through broken glass, um, through a broken mirror, images or reflections of a world that is now distorted instead of the way that God wanted it to be. And God, all I want you to do is to just fix it, to put it all together. You know, we, we're not walking through the entire gospel of Mark, but if you take a little bit of a step back into Mark chapter 1, you actually see Jesus doing this, not just here. I mean, um, we're, we're going to see this as going to be a repeated theme, is that Jesus is going to reorient his disciples. He's going to reorient, they're going to resist it, the Pharisees. He reoriented his mother last week. So this is going to be a constant theme. Jesus is constantly saying to individuals, you've lost what matters most. You've been distracted by what you think is the most important thing. And hear me, the paralytic and his inability to walk is important. It's not the most important thing. Mark chapter 1, jump back into verse 32. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, important things. The whole town was assembled at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. Yes, this is why Jesus has come, and it truly is a part of why Jesus has come. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, this is Jesus, went out and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. By the way, I kind of had to get excited about that because the word there for searched for him isn't just, huh, I wonder where Jesus is. I wonder, have you, has anybody seen Jesus, Peter? Have you seen? No. It literally is um, to, to search more with a hostile intent. They are frustrated um, because we've got people that are sick. We've got demon possession happening. I mean, we had a really productive day yesterday, Jesus, and we, we want you. And it says, and when they found him, they said, the word there should be almost more of exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And they're disappointed because he's not where, uh, he is not where they thought he should be. There are people who are sick and there are people who are demon-possessed and they need the most important thing in their lives. They need to be healed and set free. And Jesus says to them, verse 38, let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Now here's what you and I can't do. You and I can't say Jesus doesn't care about the sick or Jesus doesn't care about the demon-possessed cares more than you and I do. Jesus is going to spend a large part of his ministry. They're called summary texts. Um, and the gospel writers love to talk about Jesus coming into a city or sending out his disciples so that they would go into a city and heal the sick and cast out demons and uh, set, I mean, literally all of these wonderful things that Jesus and his ministry and his life and the announcement of the kingdom are going to come and do. And then whenever people get so excited about that, like we saw in John 6, you didn't come to me because you saw the sign that was pointing to me. You came to me because you had your fill. You ate the bread and you ate the fish, and now you want more bread and fish. Which, by the way, nothing wrong with wanting food, right? Especially if you're hungry. Jesus says, I know. I, I know that this is happening. I, I, I've often wondered, 
You know, imagine if you, if you had the ability to heal the sick, when would you ever stop doing it? Wouldn't you just, wouldn't you just go absolutely everywhere and just, I mean, until you couldn't go anywhere, you would just go and heal people. And yet we look at the ministry and the life of Jesus and he doesn't do that. I mean, honestly, maybe that's one of your struggles with Jesus is that you even look at the world around you right now and think, well, Jim, how do you come to grips with the fact that he never healed your sister? How do you look at the fact that there are people in your life that Jesus doesn't seem to be miraculously healing? I have heard more than one, I've heard many people say, the difficulty that they have in believing in a good God is all the, all the wheelchairs, counting all of the wheelchairs, all of the disabilities. How can a good God allow that kind of disability exist in the world? I think it's a good question. I think it's good for us to realize, though, that this is where you and I need to learn. Notice this reappearing theme. If Jesus is about his agenda and we need to learn to get in line and to allow his agenda to infiltrate and to affect and infect our agenda, then what you and I need to do is a humility to realize that God might have a plan and a purpose that's even bigger than you and I understand. Again, there are needs that are more important than the needs that we think are the most important needs. Jesus looks at this man healing on the, paraly on the, the paralytic lying on the mat. And Jesus says in verse 5, the man is still paralyzed. And everyone is wondering, what is he going to do? By the way, he has already healed many who are sick. It's, that's, why the, that's why the room is full. I mean, sure, we'll hear the sermon, but then can we get to like the, the crescendo, the climax, the most important part? And this man comes down on the mat, and Jesus, seeing their faith, verse 5, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Question, what is the most important thing? for my sister. Uh, she uh, became a paraplegic on August the 17th, 1970. And on that date, um, her life was forever changed. Truthfully, I don't know the date that she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Um, and as important as that date was, where she found herself physically confined, the truly the most important date in her life was the day that her sins were forgiven by Jesus. What could be more important than my sister walking? My sister having her sins forgiven, and she knows that. She knows that. And Jesus knows that. See, th this is how you and I need to just stop and to reflect on the fact that what you and I think is the most important thing for, for an individual might not be the most important thing. Jesus Christ absolutely shocks everyone where he looks at this unnamed paralytic and his unnamed four friends, and he doesn't see beyond his physical needs, but he does see that he has more than just physical needs. There will come a time when this paralyzed man will meet Jesus, not as the preacher from Nazareth, now kind of based out of Capernaum, but as the risen Lord and judge of the world. And, and then that paralytic, that paralyzed man at that moment is going to need something more than his legs to work. 
He is going to need peace with God, and Jesus knows this. And so Jesus says to him the most important words that that man can hear, son, your sins are forgiven. That's the point of this story. It absolutely blows them away. It absolutely overwhelms them. The words in the text, they were astounded, meaning they are standing now outside of themselves. At what? And here's what I love. It's not just that Jesus said it. It's that it's all of Jesus. <laughs> it's all of what he does. See, what I love about Jesus is that he, well, what I love about Jesus is he's good. And he shows his goodness in many, many ways. And here is how we see the goodness of Jesus being worked out in Mark chapter 2 is that yes, it's important that he has friends, not the true point of the story. Yes, it's important that this man finds healing, but not the true point of the story. It's that ultimately that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He has the authority and the ability to forgive sins and to heal the man and to make wholeness, complete wholeness in him and his friends and everyone else in the room and all who will come to him. What we see in Mark chapter 2 in these beautiful 12 verses, is that the ongoing purpose and plan of Jesus Christ it includes more and more and more and more things than you and I could ever know. See, you and I have, well, this and then this and then this and then this and this is most important and take care of this and this doesn't really matter. And what I love about Jesus is he brings it all in. And by the way, then he helps us order it. Yes, this is important. It's just not the most important thing. Yes, I want to take care of that, but I want you to know that that's not the most important thing. You know, Jesus, when we get into the teachings of him, is going to say, yeah, listen, it really does matter. Like, eating and drinking and what we wear, like, those things matter. But first, seek the kingdom of God. First, know who I am. First, understand what I have come to ultimately do. And then all these other things that you're chasing after, that you think are the most important things, all of these other things will be added to you. What I love about Mark 2 is he doesn't want us to exclude the friends, and he doesn't want us to exclude the healing. He just wants us to take all of these things and to weave them together, and at the top, at the, the, the crown of this, the pinnacle of this, um, the thing that holds this all together is the mission and the identity of Jesus. And these things, literally, the mission and identity of Jesus hold all of this together. We want to pull it apart. Is it about what Jesus said or is it about what Jesus did? Is it about our illnesses or is it, is it about our physical life or is it about our spiritual life? And the truth is, Jesus cares about it all. He made it all. And he is the one then, after making it all, and it's all broken, he is the one that brings it all back together. And Jesus knows that the most important thing that you and I need, the most important thing, those of us that have struggles or difficulties, the most important thing that anyone in the world needs, and I need God to tell me this, because if not, I can become easily distracted by less important Important, but less important things. And Jesus brings all of these things back together. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus loves him. And Jesus has come to set his physical body right after he has taken care of his spiritual body. 
And, and as a church, I think it's important that we realize that all of the needs of people matter. That all of the needs that our friends and that our families are going through matter. That all of the struggles that we're going through, physical and spiritual, matter. And Jesus Christ has come, and his purpose and his identity has come to bring all of those things and to bring wholeness in all of those things. And, and yet, because this is what I need to know, what, what happens to those people that in this world, in the, the, the limited time that you and I have on this this, this place in the heaven and earth that we know now. Like, what happens if God doesn't answer our prayers? What happens if my sister never walks again? Then what's the point of God? Um, to redeem her soul and to make all of this whole again in eternity, in the new heaven and the new earth? Well, what about all the wrong in the world and all the injustice in the world? And, and when are we going to see the kind of justice that, we, that we, we heard Martin Luther King preach about, rolling down, and, and this day and when people will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their care? When is that going to happen? I miss an I, I pray that it happens. And at times we see it happening and then we get so discouraged when we don't see it happening or we even see it being undone. Well, what's the point of God if it's not working out now? Well, the point of God is that he is still working it out. And so I, I want us as a, as a fellowship, it is important for us to learn these lessons from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Don't think that the physical things don't matter and it's just about spiritual things. And you definitely can't think that it really is about physical things and, oh yeah, by the way, we can get to spiritual things. Nope. These things work beautifully together, and, and Jesus holds them beautifully together. And so he looked at the man on this mat, and he cared about the most important thing. And the reason why Jesus came was not to make sure that no one in the world ever, ever, ever suffered from paralysis again. Nope, I, I know people that do and have, and looks like have in terms of their life, always will. And yet, Jesus Christ says, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. Verse 12, and immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone, and as a result, they were astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, by the way, it's, it's not the paralyzed man that they're shocked by, that he can walk. No, they've seen that before. Jesus has done that. Remember Mark chapter 1. They're astounded at the fact that Jesus, the miracle worker, would have the audacity to either blaspheme and claim something that he can't prove, which his sins are forgiven, or maybe with Jesus, we actually have God with us. And that truly is astounding. May we as the people of God celebrate the goodness of God and recognize his coming to us to bring all of the brokenness in our lives together. May you and I be able to celebrate and to respond as we love and care for one another, realizing that we shouldn't divorce the mission and the ministry of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the person of Jesus. We shouldn't try to, to, to pull apart the, the physical from the spiritual, but care for everything, every aspect, and then realize that, and yet there is a priority. And the most important thing that you and I can experience is peace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. May that be what you and I learn from the story and apply in our lives. 
and enjoy from here on forward. And now we come to the part of our service where we remember what Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus Christ made a very um, intentional, purposeful, or made, made very intentional and purposeful statements about why he came. Um, he makes this statement, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he did that by seeking them out and telling the truth about who he was. And who he was is tied up completely in what he did. And you might think, yeah, like helping a paralytic walk or even saying that his sins were forgiven. But Jesus could only say that his sins are forgiving knowing what he was about to do. The promise of the forgiveness of sins is not God will overlook it. It's no, that God will look at the cross and count what Jesus Christ did for us to our benefit. So God is not one who um, has some kind of divine forgetfulness. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is that Jesus Christ paid the price. And that is why you and I hold this in our hands. The bread representing the body of Christ, which was on the cross, given for us, so that we might have peace and righteousness with God. Let's take it and eat. This cup representing the blood, which represents his life, which was given for us. Let us drink, remembering that God, through Christ, has brought us peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus and for what he has done, for the fact that he is more than we could ever imagine or have ever asked for. We thank you for him revealing the needs that we have and his fulfillment of each and every one of those needs. We thank you for the gift of him on the cross and the hope of new life that we have through him and him alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Love
coming out of our time of worship, we want to head into a time of corporate prayer. And today we've decided to take this opportunity to pray for our new president, for President Biden and for Vice President Harris. Um, every four years we do this, every four years, whether someone's being reelected or someone new is taking office, we, we take time to stop and to pray. And I'm thankful to be able to do this because um, it, has, it has reminded me of my duty as a follower of Jesus and when it comes to who's in authority. So I come at this with one perspective and, and two implications of that. And the first perspective is um, something that we all know and that we know Scripture teaches, which is that God is sovereign over all things. But specifically, in Romans 13, it says that God is sovereign over who's in authority. God puts the people in authority that he wants there. Now, throughout church history, sometimes that has meant really, really good things, and sometimes that has meant bad things for, for Christians, specifically. And, and so, I don't know where you fall in line of this, and I don't know what you believe about this particular um, group of leaders coming in. Um, but all I know is the, the, the perspective is God is sovereign over all things. <clears throat> and God is sovereign over who's in authority. The implications of that are two things. One is, in, as it continues in Romans 13, it says we are to submit to the authorities that, God's, that God puts in our life as a way of submitting to him in, in a lot of ways. Like we are, all of us as followers of Jesus are to live a life of submission to him, to those in authority, and to each other. Um, the second implication is in Second and First Timothy two, is that we are to pray for our leaders, to pray for those in authority, and so I, I think that's a great uh, perspective to have, and those are implications that we need to kind of walk forward in over these coming weeks. And so I'm thankful to get to do this. Uh, I have a prayer here that specifically written out that I want to make sure I pray um, specifically for. And um, I'd like for you to join me in praying this. So let's pray together. Our God and King, whose glory fills all the world, we commend our nation to your merciful care that we may be guided by your providence and live securely in your peace. Grant to President Biden, Vice President Harris, and to all in authority the wisdom and strength to know and to do your will. Fill them with the love of truth and righteousness and make them continually mindful of their calling to serve the people of our nation in reverent obedience to you. So guide and bless our senators and representatives assembled in Congress um, that they may, be, they may enact laws pleasing in your sight to the glory of your name for our welfare through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last week, we let you know that there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be coming out over the next few weeks. Um, there has been a over a year, um, a couple of years in terms of us walking through the Capitol campaign, um, anticipating the day in which the building is going to be open. We want you to be aware of a couple of important dates. Um, so specifically tomorrow, which will be January the 25th, is a date in which the city uh, officials, the, the, the ones that are going to be walking through the building and making sure it's all up to code across the, uh, across the, uh, the entire building, um, they're going to be coming and looking at the building. And if they believe that everything is a go, and that's what we've been praying for, um, the building will actually be able to be occupied this week. And so we're excited about that. You probably heard in our update video um, earlier this week uh, that that's what we've been praying for. We 
We have been hoping that tomorrow when the officials come, they're going to give us what is known as a uh, temporary occupancy certificate. Um, because as you've probably looked at the building, maybe you haven't been uh, to the building for a long time, you've been on watching and enjoying these online services, um, maybe you've driven by a couple of times, you, you might look at the building and, and think to yourself, wow, there's no brick yet. I know that two sides have all of the siding up, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Well, but on the inside, they've actually got uh, everything completed. And so everything is done, and we're now waiting for the city to come and say, yes, you can have temporary occupancy. Um, we're hoping that the bricks, and the, the reason why that got delayed was they just did not have the number of bricks that we needed. And instead of trying to come up with some kind of a compromise, which we didn't believe would have the kind of the long-term look, we're expecting, obviously, the outside of the, the building to last for a long time. So we wanted to make sure that we did that right. And so for that reason... Um, we had to wait uh, for a brick delay. So those bricks are going to be coming in, in about a month or so, and then they will work on that. Uh, we will have a, a real kind of a special celebration, an unveiling, even once much of this COVID stuff begins to die down where we can be together and celebrate in a much more normal form that we're used to, probably in uh, sometime in the summer or maybe even wait until early fall when we're kicking off our fall programming to kind of celebrate the building in its final and complete form. There's some additional concrete work that needs to be done um, out front. But until that time, we're really praying that tomorrow we'll get the temporary occupancy, which means on February 3rd for our Wednesday programming, we're going to be able to use the building. And so that's what we're, we're, we're really praying for. And in light of that, we want you to, to kind of pencil in and then pay attention to the update that will come out tomorrow um, about our prayer time walking through the building this Saturday, uh, which will be January the 30th from 10 to 2. We'll allow you or you and your wife or you and your family um, to walk through and to kind of pray specifically for the different ministries and, and, and in those rooms and to get a look at the building and really to, to begin our time together doing that ministry um, by giving it over to God in prayer. And then also on the 31st, again, if temporary occupancy comes on the 25th or even any time next week, then on the 31st, at the end of each of our three services, we're going to be having an open house where uh, people are going to be able to kind of walk through and to see the building. Um, now that's going to make a difference for those of you that really want to see it because remember, on a normal, typical Sunday or Wednesday when programming is going on, um, the front entryway is about all that you can see. It's a secure building when the children are using it. Um, so be aware of the opportunities on both the 30th for a prayer time, and then the 31st for the open house, if you would like to see it. If you can't make one of those and you would really love to see what the building looks like, um, you can always call the office. Any one of us as ministers would love to kind of give you a tour and have you walk around so that you can see it. Um, again, we're excited about that. We want you to know about that. If you have any other questions um, about the building and about where we're at and when we're going to be using it and what are some of the next steps, um, please reach out to us and we'd be more than glad uh, to give you the information that you need. Um, but be praying specifically for the 25th and then for the events coming up over the next few days and weeks.